0: Konnichiwa. Welcome to the Jandals in Japan podcast.
1: Kia ora, Catherine. Konnichiwa, Jane. Well, it's a rugby episode this week on
0: oh, Jandals in Japan. We haven't had one for a little while, so I feel Ooh, I it's know. Okay. so excited to bring a rugby episode. Yay. <laughs> And
1: if you don't like rugby, you should still keep listening because our guest is so fun, such oh. a good guy. You will just, you'll just really enjoy this episode anyway, even if you hate rugby, promise.
0: <laughs> he's hilarious. He drops jokes all the time and puns and things like that, and he's super fun to deal with. Doug, Who is it, Doug? Doug? Doug Doug Pickin. And Doug is the Dinobores rugby team's translator. He's not only that. He also hosts and sometimes co-hosts the Japan Rugby Weekly podcast, and we've had lots mm-hmm. of fun collaborating with him across yeah, our both, so part, both of our podcasts. It's been awesome. His earlier days are up near you, right, in Fukushima. Yes, yes Aizu Wakamatsu, I think. His mom's Fukushima. from there. Mm. Yeah, and his dad is Scottish, <laughs> but Scottish. he grew up in Rotorua Ro- or Rotorua, as the Americans say, right? So uh, super guy totally, you know, university academics there, but his devotion to sport, right, and kicking everything he does to touch to make it all sort of brilliant is what Doug does. Mm. Can't wait to tell everybody and show everybody this episode. So all the things that
1: he sees as a translator, he really sees what goes on in a rugby team across all aspects. So he has a lot of gold to share with us today. So I hope you enjoy hearing from Doug.
0: Thanks. Go for it. Ikimashou! Ikimashou!
1: Kia ora, Doug. Welcome to the Jandals in Japan podcast. Great to have you on the show today.
2: Kia ora. Oh, how Thanks for having me.
1: All right, so we'd like to start with our warm-up question. Can you share one piece of rugby lingo in Japanese? We should know mm. if we want to be following what's going on here in the rugby world in Japan
2: uh yes oh there's a few uh a lot of them like ruck is "laku." Yeah. um everything's um a lot of them are you know just english words but one that they say in japan that uh i've never really heard anywhere else is uh no side or no side um which you might have heard before but it's I think I don't know where it came from, but like how uh, in rugby once it's done, there's no sides, there's no, uh, you know, you're all nakama or you're all, you're all uh, friends again. So um, everyone, you know, shakes hands, and um, I think it's something that doesn't happen as much in um sport over here as maybe I don't it does in New Zealand maybe. So um, it's something that people have noticed over here in rugby that yeah there's no sides after the final whistle so everyone will say no side or for the final whistle
0: and I hear yeah. the commentators saying that too now on TV when yeah. the whistle goes they're like ah no side I'm like okay it's 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 merged into even mm. the media too right
2: I think it's you know Japanese English where everyone thinks it's oh that's what they say in New Zealand or England but yeah I think it must have come from someone saying you know there's no sides after rugby or something and
0: wasn't there like a movie? No, no, Saido? Um, uh,
2: maybe. Documentary?
0: I think there was, and maybe it came from there. I'm not sure, but I know there was something. Uh, we have to look into that.
2: It's not necessarily rugby terminology that we use on the field, but yeah, is that one good enough?
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, that's awesome. No, because it does get like Catherine just said, you hear the commentators say it. Mm. Why are they saying that? Right, right. Mm. Okay, interesting. Did not
0: know that one. Thanks for pulling that one out, Doug. I hope
2: so, that's about. Yeah. Or the time I've got, but yeah.
0: <laughs> Can I ask you one? I love kick to touch. Mm. Is that something that is said in Japanese as well?
2: Uh I think they might say like tachi Sorry, Tachikiki. tachikiku. Um, tachikiku. Oh, um right. or uh, and like kicking out on the full. They won't yeah. say out on the full, they'll say daidekto tachi. So, oh. you're kicking it directly out, like, right? right. or mm-hmm. yeah, sometimes they'll even shorten it just to, you know, direct or this or something, and it just means they kicked <laughs> it out on the full. So, <laughs>
0: Perfect. Nice. I, when I remember in law school, one of our lecturers used to talk about, yeah, well, I'll just kick that one to touch. And so, it became a real thing that we all said, as you know, budding lawyers, we all talked about kicking something to touch when it meant, I guess, you know, we'll leave that one as it is and move <laughs> on. Um, but he got a rep for that, so it was quite fun. Yeah. Jay, all, um, yeah.
2: All those things, I think, are the hardest to translate because you can't translate them, uh, di- you know, um, direct. If I just say, oh, you're kicking something to the touchline, in that sense, everyone will be like, what are you talking about? So it's, um, mm. yeah. When I heard that, I just got shivers. I was like, oh, how am I going to translate that if mm. if it was to Japanese people?
0: Tach-
2: mm. oh, tachikiku. Oh, sorry, tachikiku. Tachikiku.
0: Yeah. tachikiku. Got. got it, got it, got it. Thank you. What about one of your favorite ones? Come on. on. I don't have any from
1: (laughs) rugby that I can add here, unfortunately. Yeah, no, I've been interested to watch the Rugby World Cup with all of the the little hints that come up on the screen Mm. Mm, with my husband who is learning to understand and appreciate rugby. Yep. He wants to understand it. And he's an avid sports watcher. But he's like, I still don't get it. Why are there, you know, uh, these various obscure rules about rugby? Yeah. Um. Even after having watched the whole Rugby World Cup with all of the hints on the screen along the mm. way, we're still struggling with some of the mm. rules about when you kick it out from behind the 22 and all of this sort of stuff. <laughs> it's, well, it's very <clears throat> intricate game, isn't it, really? Isn't
2: it? I mean, some of the rules, you know, I watch it. I'm like... I think that was this, but I will just, uh, you know, if I open my mouth, everyone would think I'm an idiot. So I'll just stay silent.
0: Well, Doug, as you say on your own podcast, show. Did Let's I get that quite right?
2: Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. the yeah. way you uh, say
0: it. But there uh, we can go. you say it for us?
2: Um, I never really thought about how I say it. Now I'm overanalyzing <laughs> myself on how I say it. Uh, it was normally just, how do I say it? Uh,
1: it's kind of like that, isn't it? I had
0: to <laughs> imagine
2: the um sound uh the intro playing and then when I do it so.
0: oh good on you. Well, welcome to Doug the translator. You were born in Japan, grew up a little bit in Japan and in <laughs> New Zealand and you know you got a bachelor of science uh out of University of Auckland and you are a translator in japan for the Dinobores rugby team and host of the japan rugby weekly podcast we're so happy to have you here thank you we'll be putting your full bio into the show notes but tell us a little bit more about that background in japan and new zealand your early days of interest in translation and um, being in this world of rugby translation in japan
2: thanks so much for having me it's um yeah great to finally be on a- professional podcast and not one that is like mine where I just make it up as I go but um now I <laughs> like you said hey, <laughs> <come on. laughs> uh, I uh yeah mum is Japanese my dad is uh Kiwi or you know half Scottish but none of us have been to Scotland so I don't know why I keep saying that but but yeah my mum and dad met in Australia and uh in when she went back to new zealand oh sorry to japan um dad followed her over um i was born over there in a small town in fukushima um and yeah my mum's from even you know a smaller town uh in the countryside and i just kind of been back and forth and i learned my japanese mainly through my mum who would always speak to me yeah in japanese even when i was in new zealand um but i'd always reply in english so My listening was always, I think, better than my uh, speaking. And yeah, just been back and forth. uh, Did two years of primary school in Aizu Wakamatsu in Fukushima. And yeah, after uni, came back um, and I was just, I guess, wanting to come over before I got a full-time job. I guess um, I wanted to meet or see all my family over here again um, before I got a job in New Zealand and just before I came over, someone asked me, if I wanted to, um, it was actually Tim Harvey, one of your past guests, a friend of mine or a family member of mine knew him and um, yeah, got me introduced to him and uh, he got me introduced to his agency. They started looking for a job as a translator for me and while they did that, I taught a bit of uh, English. So I think the only translation I'd done before that was when my cousins had come to New Zealand um, at the airport or something, I'd, you know, go up to the counter with them and Tell them what the lady was saying. So not didn't have too much experience. But um yeah, I was just kinda given the opportunity to try um and look for a job. And yeah, here we are.
1: Whoa. And shout out to Tim. Yeah, exactly.
2: yeah. Oh, uh, I don't know you if, thought about that. I don't know oh, if you can hear that, it. but what, what was, was that? that? Oh, no, it was just my ear horn that I've got connected to it as a celebration <laughs> to Tim.
0: Well, celebration to Tim. You, we'll mm. shout them out when we go out uh, live for, for this one. But how did you know that translation was something you wanted to get into? Or was it just really that introduction, why don't you try it? Someone knew you had it in you and you didn't know yourself or you really wanted to do that?
2: I think I always wanted to come to Japan. Uh, every time I'd come over, it was apart from the two years that I spent in primary school, it was... Normally, just like a two-week holiday or something, so um, I was always keen to come back, even if it was just for a little bit, to see family, like I said, and um, experience it as an adult. And I always loved um, rugby. Uh, growing up, I was into rugby league more, but because um, my dad was, but um, then from high uh, uni, I started playing a bit of union as well. And um, obviously, as a kid, you always watch it uh, when it's on TV, and. Yeah, when someone said this is something that people do, I just thought, oh well, you know, <laughs> if uh, I can't be on a rugby team or a professional rugby team as a player, as someone who's you know seventy kgs and a hundred, you know, sixty-eight centimeters or whatever, um, but maybe I can with my voice. So, I uh, arrived in Japan in 2015 and kind of gave myself until 2019 where I knew the World Cup was going to be in Japan so I thought I'll stay until at least then and if I still don't have a job in translation then I'll go home but yeah luckily uh, before that I got a chance and yeah here we are
0: great well it's good to set a sort of time limit isn't it on yourself it makes you sort of work for things but you are indeed now the rugby translator for Mitsubishi Heavy Industries Sagami Hara Dainabore's team mm-hmm. yeah the dinables. Yeah, Tell us a bit more about this role. What does it entail for you? What do you do during the week or on a day when you're out in the field?
2: So yeah, our team has coaches, um, other staff analysts like uh, Jess, who has also been on the uh, show, and also obviously players who are from different countries. So um, you know, my role is pretty much just to repeat what they've said or written or, you know, texted in the opposite <laughs> language and i uh, just make sure that the message i guess that they're trying to get across is you know gets across um so normally start every morning with a coach meeting um in the morning and we've got a few japanese coaches so i'll just kind of be in the corner of the room with them translating as all the other coaches are talking um and then you yeah, know you translate for you know team meetings other staff meetings and then on the field whenever a uh, Coach is describing a drill that we're doing, or you know, yelling at their players to be good. Um, I repeat that back in uh, Japanese, and then in the huddles uh, at training, I do the same for the players, and yeah, between the players. So pretty much, I don't really have to think for myself; I just repeat what other people say. Hmm.
1: And so you you just mentioned when the coaches are shouting potentially at the players. <laughs> you're shouting too right you are you becoming them to Um, get that message across
2: yeah i think i that was something i probably struggled with a bit at the start um yeah because i don't yell like naturally that much like it's not something that i'd necessarily do and when i first started i was 22 or 23 and everyone was pretty much older than me so i knew in japan you also have the senpai kohai thing and i'm the voice of what somebody in their you know 40s but i'm still you know 23 so um, i was always wasn't sure how it would be taken if i'm yelling at someone who's you know 30 or 29 or something um but and i also didn't want to focus too much on the Yelling or how I said it um, so much that I wasn't focused on what I had to say. So I think I just trying to find a balance of obviously, if somebody's yelling and I'm, you know, smiling and saying something really calmly, then that's jarring as well. But mm. um, I probably don't yell or get as animated. It's um, maybe somewhere in between where I still know that. I mean, if you're Japanese and you see a foreign person you know yelling you know that they're not real happy so um it's more about yeah the message i think and so yeah sorry very long story short kind of
1: (laughs) i guess you can do a lot with tone of voice right and Mm -hmm. rather than like volume and
2: yeah yeah just being stern
1: expellatives or whatever i guess everybody has their own style as well Mm -hmm. that you probably found as you've gone along and developed your own doug the translator style Yeah.
2: yeah 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 um and all coaches all players have their own style or their own way of talking as well. So it definitely gets a lot easier uh, when it's someone that you've known for quite a while. You know, you can kind of, I guess, predict what they're going to say or how they're going to say something or in this situation, they'll probably react this way. So you can kind of get prepared a bit more, which is definitely helpful.
0: Absolutely. Wow. I mean, and you talked about huddles before. So you're with them in that huddle and out on the field with the coach, sort of shadowing the coach. How does that work between practice and uh reality of the game
2: um so yeah on the practice field um i'm normally following we've got three coaches who speak english um or are from um, new zealand and um so i'm normally following one of them and just helping I guess them out Uh, but we do have huddles on the training field as well Uh, so um, I'll normally go to one of the huddles and they'll talk about what they want to do next or um, what's going well what's not going well and I think it kind of helps them practice for in-game as well so they can get those messages as crisp as possible and then on game day I do a similar role before the game when all the players are warming up and then at the in the huddle in the dressing room um the captain will say his final words. so yeah just trying to i guess get that point across to the foreigners who are in the um huddle and then i go up to the coach's box after that and kind of relay things that the coach says on the radio or if any japanese messages are coming back up from the field on the radio i'll tell the coaches what's being said there so they could be from medical you know if a player's hurt um where they are hurt, or if they can keep going. Uh, And also, the manager is the one who organizes the replacement. So if somebody's on the ground, then we might tell the manager or the uh, strength and conditioning coach to start getting somebody warmed up or something. So I guess it's just about uh, same job, but just over radios.
0: Mm. What do you like about translating? Now that you're more in the groove, and, you know, you've got past those initial stages, what's it that, you know, really makes you feel like, Yeah, that was great. I really enjoyed that.
2: I love being able to go out on the field every day uh, and just the, I guess the environment of our rugby team, it's got a lot of camaraderie and um, it's yeah, something that I always loved doing as well. You know, it's what so many people do they uh, in their spare time, you know, they'll pay fees every year to go on a um, a Tuesday night or a Thursday night to go to training and then uh, go to a game on Saturday just to, I guess, be in that group and get exercise, but also um, enjoy being around teammates. So that's something that I get to do every day, which is really cool. And the level is a lot higher than anything that I would have, you know, been at uh, as a player as well. So just always learning from players, from coaches, because, you know, I'm always relaying what the coaches are saying to each other and everything like that. So I think it all just is really interesting to me on, what kind of I guess the depth that which um, everyone kind of talks about rugby and something that I didn't really notice when I was just watching it as a fan but just how many things um, or how much actually goes into the preparation of a week uh, into the preparation of a season of a game and so much that I guess you don't really notice until you're in it um, and then also I just love how you know we're allowed to travel Japan with the team Um, you get to go to a lot of places that I probably wouldn't go to Otherwise, uh, lastly, I guess just actually being out um, in that environment in the um, atmosphere of the crowds and stuff like Japan's got, you know, amazing crowds and amazing support. So just being able to see that and see how much they support um, our boys is, uh, yeah, really, I guess it gives you that motivation to keep working hard or to keep gumbarying.
1: What about people who wouldn't suit being a translator? What, what? have you seen um, sort of people come in and come and go and they haven't succeeded what is it about those people that you perhaps notice that doesn't suit rugby translation well potentially
2: so i haven't seen a lot of it uh, directly because um you know the whole time i've been translating i've been uh kind of the only one uh, there or i've just had other staff members who can speak both who would help out sometime but a lot of the stories i hear of I guess, the reason why I was brought in or um, the person before me, um, a few of them, I guess you hear so many, uh, I guess, strat- so much strategy or so many ways of doing things. And there might be some that as a translator, you agree with more than others. So if you get a new coach who has a different way of thinking or a different way of coaching, different philosophy, you see some people, they don't agree with that one. They agree with something that they've seen in the past and they won't necessarily translate it how they should Uh, maybe they might put some of their ideas into it so I think um that was yeah a big strength of mine is that I you know don't really know anything about rugby in terms of the strategic like you know how to play it at this level I've just whenever I've been out on the field in social rugby it's just uh grab the ball and you know, try not to get tackled, and then um, afterwards, everyone has a beer. So um, that's you know the level of thinking that I've always been used to. Um, so and then, if maybe you are an ex-player who comes in as a translator, you might have all these experiences, and you have these beliefs that suddenly you just have to shelve and you have to ignore. Um, so I think that's things, uh, something that you can maybe sometimes struggle with, and then also with that, even when it's not, uh, if a coach is saying something, maybe because you've heard so much from a coach. Sometimes you can think that you know what's best and talk to players and say, oh, you should do this when, you know, that's not a message from a coach. It could even be the right message, but it shouldn't be coming directly, I guess, from you because um, that's not your role. So maybe just being able to understand your role is something that's uh, important. And then in terms of translators who do well in other fields, but maybe not so much in um, sports, it's probably just the... uh it's like a pretty different pressure. You're not necessarily working, you know, like business translators and stuff. They'd have the pressure of working with, you know, millions of dollars and things like that. But I think just the pace of everything you have to do at rugby, you don't want to be the cause of making a 15-minute meeting, a 30-minute meeting because you're, you know, too slow. And you also don't want to be the reason why players are fighting with coaches or players versus players because you didn't get their point across so and you know it's not something that you can take a lot of time with in training we might have like a 30 second uh, huddle where the players are trying to get their water they're trying to give their messages and you can't tell the coach oh wait I haven't given the message yet so I guess those kind of pressures um mm-hmm. are things that you know you have to get used to but once you get used to it and um I think yeah the most important thing is just and um, if you understand your role then it makes everything a lot easier I think
1: gold absolute gold there take yourself out of the equation your opinions and leave them at the door when you get to work as a translator in rugby because yeah that's not your job doesn't matter how much you know or experience as a translator right
2: um yeah i'm always just talking about how i'm just a machine where i listen to some words and then turn them into different words kind of thing so um i don't want there to be that filter in me that um i think naturally There's always words that I'd use that a different translator might not use. So I think there's always going to be some kind of filter, but making sure that that filter doesn't change the message, I think, or the idea that the person wants to get across. Mm
1: -hmm. Like in the future with AI and that, do you think you could be replaced by AI? Do you think you bring something beyond that? Just curious.
2: I've always kind of been saying that I need... Um, the podcast to really, you know, um succeed because that's gonna be <laughs> my <in> job. <laughs> um after I uh, I've got a time limit on how long I can do this. Um I think rugby it helps because rugby language is different to English and Japanese. So I think it'll take it a little bit more time for, you know, no one's necessarily trying to make uh translate a machine for, you know, rugby they'll probably do it for business meetings or tourism before that. So I might have a bit more time. But I did not even think in the future It'll be a job that it will be cheaper, even if it's not 100% the experience that's happening now, it'll definitely be cheaper. So I think there is a time limit. So, um, yeah, I might have to go back to working at KFC like I did at um, high school.
0: <laughs> oh, I don't think so. I think you're right on saying that, that it's, there's a different language, right, and trying to copy that, even if they put you through an AI uh, vessel, right, to try and change and try and teach it how Doug speaks. How Doug translates, I think it would still take a little bit of time to catch up with you.
2: I'd uh, never teach it right. I'd just be giving it wrong information anyway. <laughs> yeah,
0: give wrong information. <laughs> Sabotaging that, that's how you save your job. <laughs> have, you, have you ever had a funny situation on the field or in, in a huddle where you've, you'd like to tell us about a translation story that you've experienced?
2: I think the biggest thing is probably just different nuances on languages. So mm. there'll be things a bit like what you said for kick to touch where mm. you can't just say, um, kicked that Just I'd have to say, I don't know, put it aside or something in Japanese, um, or let's move on to the next thing. And I think, uh, the the parts where I feel flustered is when we had a coach at Coca Cola where I was before Mitsubishi, who was a Japanese guy who was a very, you know, yeah, real uh, famous name in Japanese rugby. But I think because he was such a good player, yeah, I mean, it kind of came naturally to him. So, um, that made it a bit harder for him to. I guess, understand why people weren't getting it straight away. Um, it was harder for him to teach it because for him, it wasn't something he necessarily had to, you know, learn by doing it a lot. I guess it just came more naturally to him. But there were times when just the way that he speaks, uh, it didn't sometimes come across very clearly and the Japanese players, you know, they were sometimes looking puzzled as well, but all the foreigners are looking at is me and they're just looking at me and I'm saying something that doesn't really make sense. And they all think that I'm just, you know, what are you talking about, Doug? But I'm just trying to explain on oh, no, and no. I'm saying what he's saying. It's just that, you know, the original source code isn't really making as much sense. So I think that's when I feel flustered where mm. people think, regardless of what the original message is, if my message doesn't make sense, they don't think it's mm. because the original one isn't, you know, making sense. It's like, oh, Doug must have understood it. That's so Doug's
0: uh, yeah. I get a and bit yes, yeah, sweaty. Yeah, that's quite scary, isn't it? Is there any time like when that happens that you can say any suggestion back to the original source code or is that something you're not really supposed to do?
2: I think uh, sometimes I will ask or get clarity on it. So before I've said it, uh, but I guess the only problem when it's Japanese to English normally because there's a lot more Japanese people I'll just be doing it at the same time so I'll just be at the back kind of whispering to the foreign place so it's a lot harder to stop it but when I'm speaking English to Japanese it's more uh, the coach will say a sentence and I'll say that or you'll say a phrase he'll keep talking until he stops and then I'll you know repeat that kind of thing so there are a few times when the coach might say Wednesday when I know that he meant thursday so i'll just say thursday in japanese and then he'll be like oh yeah right thursday so i guess i know what the message is supposed to be so sometimes i'll say what he's trying to say um i won't do it on anything too obviously controversial where i'm not 100 sure on what he's trying to say but those little mistakes or i might say no you mean wednesday
0: how interesting wow is there anything you think that has come from your you know roots uh, jointly roots, right, in Japan and New Zealand, but I'm just pulling out New Zealand here that's made <laughs> it something a little bit easier for you to do your work in Japan. Is it understanding the coaches who are uh, Kiwis? Is there anything there that you think is essential to part of your success as a translator here in rugby, uh, the sport in New Zealand? And-
2: yeah, this probably comes back to that, why some people struggle a bit at translation as well. Um I think yeah that's what one of my biggest strengths is i know rugby terms i know rugby lingo and because i played a little bit of rugby over here as well um i know what the language is in japanese as well and then i also know all the sayings and all the you know things that the coaches will say so if someone is saying to you know kick it kicker in the guts then saying like oh let's call it a day but someone you know who learned english over here might mm, you know that's... be like why are you trying to kick somebody you know the only female is Jess trying to kick her in the guts kind of thing so I think knowing those terms knowing all those jokes is something that's been very uh beneficial and I think in terms of from both cultures just being able to travel from New Zealand to Japan and back and forth has really taught me I guess to respect cultures a lot more or to understand that there's differences in cultures so um that's something that I think even when I go traveling anywhere I understand that there's a lot of different ways to do things because I've kind of experienced that firsthand. So when you're working with rugby teams in Japan, they're all run by companies and there's a lot of rules that the companies have that are tied down to um, Japanese culture as well. So there's a lot of times when that's different to what the coaches or the players are used to. Um, But just, I guess, having that understanding, knowing why that's happening, I can kind of use that in the translation where the Japanese people probably don't think there's any need to explain why they're doing something because that's all they know that's what they've always been doing but um, if I can kind of layer a bit of that understanding into the translation then it can make it a little bit smoother so a few I guess things that have helped me just thanks to my uh I don't genes <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know we've heard about this sort of coaches not being able to understand why they can't do this or why their players are not available for that or all of these things, but it comes down to these sort of unspoken rules almost that within the kaisha. What are some of those things that you can talk about that you've noticed coaches stumbling with or you know, other translators might not know is a thing between the kaisha and and the team?
2: Um, well, I think one of the is struggles is where um, the coaches are here as kind of experts in the field. You know the only reason why things like rugby have foreign coaches and baseball doesn't is because you know rugby as uh, a lot of other countries have that expertise that maybe Japan doesn't have yet. Um, so all those coaches, all those players are coming knowing that they're there to kind of support that or to help that. and they want to help it by doing it uh, in ways that have worked in their country. So there's things that work in New Zealand, but as soon as you, I guess, come to Japan, the companies um are, you know, running a business as well. They're trying to do it their way, but also they might not understand that success doesn't come automatically either. So and then the coaches are trying to change things. The companies are saying, why would we have to do that when, you know, the top teams aren't necessarily doing that or, you know, vice versa. Or, you know, um, that's not something that we do as a company. Um, and then there might be frustration on. I can't do what I've been brought here to do kind of thing. and then um the companies I think we've paid so much money for this person who um is, isn't you know helping us kind of thing so there's just those differences in understanding that indefinitely um yeah cause friction and yeah what I've heard from things like baseball is because I guess baseball has a bit of a draft system as well but um they can put money into things and um onto their teams and every year there's probably like you know a pretty good chance that your team i guess can do well or you don't know who's going to do well necessarily um so it's not always the same teams that are going to be um winning but in rugby over here it's not quite at that stage or at that level yet and i think um business people at the top of the companies don't necessarily understand that so if you're a team in third division in a tough game against you know one of the top teams your case is uh Chacho, your CEOs, like we've got to win this and you're thinking like <laughs> our guys you know would they work nine hours a day and then train afterwards where they've got a personal masseuse each or I don't know, something um so uh yeah there's I guess those differences in understanding on both sides which I think just makes it uh the wires don't necessarily align but I think that's probably more the foreign coaches the foreign players job to come over you're coming to a Japanese team you're not coming to a New Zealand team that's based in Japan so um understanding that where you are and uh, how people do things over here and understanding why people do things because yeah it's worked obviously for you know hundreds of years thousand years so must be something that works over here so you just i guess got to understand that
0: do most people Uh, then who are coaches who come here learn about kaisha about the importance of the company on the job um, there's not really a lot of that before they come here i'm getting the feeling that maybe that's what happens you arrive and you think oh i'm playing for X team, wow, I know that brand, great, but not knowing what that company stands for, its values, its vision, and all the other written unwritten rules, right?
2: It's probably um the agents and everyone would probably help them out in that respect where you're coming to this country, uh, you know, the first thing that you probably get told is you can't drink anything and drive over here. So be careful <laughs> kind of thing where in New Zealand, you, you can have a beer um, after work and still drive home or whatever, just those little things. And then also just, yeah, trying to teach people on the culture. But I think you can only tell people so much. Um, I think the people that succeed, coaches, players, everyone, are people who are willing to learn and to embrace. And uh, people who are coming over here, not just because of the rugby or the, pay packet it's um people who want to come here because they also you know love the country or they want to experience a new culture and they buy into that I think so just that effort to want to buy in mm. or even just you know to try to come but is you know everyone says in fair uh is probably the most yeah the biggest factor to if somebody's going to have a long career over here or not because not understanding the culture there's something that people in Japan uh will understand like they know that their culture is different to other people you know it's uh, probably something that people in Japan you know or anyone in any country will take pride in the differences that they have in their country so it's not like people in Japan just think everyone's like this why aren't you doing what we do um I think the biggest thing is when they just don't feel like you're trying at all. Maybe you're not trying to learn the language. You're not uh, making an effort to, I don't know, take your shoes off where everyone else is taking your shoes off. Just that effort really goes a long way. And that's something that people can understand, even if they don't understand what you're saying. So, um, yeah, just being able to give that effort, I think, goes a long way into succeeding over here. And everyone makes mistakes. Uh, So, you know, it's not about having to get everything right. It's just about making the effort
1: i have a question that my husband asked me the other day and i'd like to ask you if maybe you have some insights on this why are new zealand players coming to japan mm-hmm. what have you seen why would they choose japan over france or uk or all those places where new zealand players can go to play why are so many new zealand players coming here
2: i think uh Like in the past, it was always France, it was always England, and I think the money over there was obviously you know, pretty good, but one thing you hear from people who especially have experienced both England and Japan, uh, or Europe and Japan, is just the uh, distance is one thing. So you can get on one plane to get to Aussie or to New Zealand, or the time zones aren't crazy different either. So just being able to talk to your family um, at reasonable hours is a big one, Um, and also the level of rugby as well you know that's you're not going over for a holiday so if the rugby is not good then you know you know you'd rather go somewhere where it's a different time zone but you get to play a good level but I think um, Japan rugby with all the coaches who've come and they've brought in a lot of ideas they've helped grow the game over here uh, the Japanese public has got more interest in rugby so more players are is joining Yeah, it's just the level is going up. You've got more internationals wanting to come. And I think a lot of them might have experienced Japan in the World Cup. And when you come over as tourists, obviously, I think Japan is probably one of the best places to visit as a tourist. Um, Everything, you know, works and it's all beautiful. Everything's, you know, amazing. So I think that really being able to come over here, work by playing rugby and also living in Japan is a pretty big uh, draw card. And then finally... The season in terms of the number of official games is less over here. So uh, there's a lot more games you play in England and um, Europe. Uh, You know, they've got a few different competitions, so you could be playing 30. I've heard even out of 40 games. But our games uh, before finals and promotion relegation games, we've got 16 in the top division and then 10 in the second division. Then I think 15 in the third division. Yeah, so I think those are probably some of the, reasons why, uh, just as a guess.
1: Interesting, the different factors and the different situations, because we were looking at it going, well, the yen's not great. Why would Mm -hmm. you choose to come here? And I was like, well, distance obviously is really great. Yeah, there's a lot of other things that that players have to consider when they're thinking about where they want to Mm -hmm. play outside of New Zealand. Thank you for giving us Mm -hmm. some insights on that, Doug. And how exciting, Japan is the place to be at the moment.
2: I think, and. All the players who like South African players a lot would go to Europe, but uh England has seen three or maybe even four teams um go bust recently because they've all got private owners and um, you know, they have to file bankruptcy and then suddenly, you know, you've got players who have a contract, but because the team doesn't have any money, you don't get paid. Uh where over here, because it's all with the company, um, we've had two teams over here in recent memory, um, go bust, but all the players still get their contracts. You know if they want to stay in that uh city, they can't play rugby, but they'll still get paid the whole year and then if they get a rugby gig somewhere else, then they have to give up that contract, obviously, but I guess that money like the security of the money is a big factor as well.
0: Wow, okay, we're gonna go in for the big question. <laughs> hold your breath or let it out. I don't know, but one big nugget, a gem that you can give us for really you know from your own experiences, if you summarize it and think of one thing here to be really successful in Japan. You've talked about culture, and if you want to elaborate on that, that's great. But what do you think is really going to be very successful? One key tip for uh, Kiwis coming into Japan to be successful and all that they do here.
2: Yeah, I think, well, when I was younger, I was always thinking it's really something that a lot of people have said on here is just like, you know, um, it's not what you know, it's who you know, kind of mentality was always something that I didn't realize until I, you know, uh, met Tim and then I got this job and then uh, Mitsubishi was through another connection. I was thinking, man, I've figured out life. Uh, and then I realised that that's <laughs> what everyone—that's not a Japan thing. That's a everyone thing kind of thing. Uh, so yeah, that's something uh, that I originally thought. But I think the biggest thing is what I said before about making the effort. So um, just understanding where you are. Um, Japan's got a lot of things that are going well for it. A lot of things that you know are different. Some things it does better than other countries. Some things that it doesn't. But um, yeah, there's no you know perfect country. It's just about understanding where you are, how things are happening, and I think Kiwis are you know quite good in terms of quite laid back. So just being able to roll with the punches or going with the flow, something that uh, I think Kiwis naturally do quite well. We're quite outgoing as well, though, and uh, make friends. So I've everyone that I've known over here who are Kiwis, people who you know teach English or anything, um they're quite good at making that, I guess, community around them, which because it can get quite lonely in Japan as well. I think um it's not like New Zealand where you go to the supermarket and you can have a chat to the lady at Pack and Save while you're, you know, doing things. Um I've been to some supermarkets where they they say the yen price of every item that they're putting through just to you know make sure that everything's going well so yeah there's no
1: room for chatting they've got to yeah, say yeah. the price of every single item they scan for you so um, yeah. it's
2: very uh you know make sure that everything's yeah. perfect kind of thing um so I think they're both different levels of service um I like both of them I guess but uh yeah just being able to make life a bit more interesting over here while you're trying to do your thing if you're over as a rugby player like I said before you're here as one of the experts in the field but Kiwis you know we've got a bit of a I guess negative thing of um tall poppy syndrome in New Zealand so um people naturally if at, you know we're around your mates if you say you're good at something or you say confident about something then you get cut down pretty quick which um is something I don't necessarily like about New Zealand but when we come overseas it gives us gives us I guess that humility as well where you might be the best or one of the best players in the world but you come into a you know a environment where people have only been playing rugby for a few years but you don't look down on them um you look at them i guess you know as normal people so i think just uh using those kiwi qualities has definitely helped a lot of people over here as well even i when i first came over it was a bit lonely not knowing not being able to make those connections with people uh you know, not getting invited to things where I normally would in New Zealand, because it's not a thing that already happens over here. Uh, so yeah, just, I guess, making the effort in terms of the culture, but also about getting out there and uh, I don't know, whatever you like to do, go to bars, go talk to people. Uh, you, after one beer, everyone wants to practice their English. So, you know, it's very easy to make friends if you know how. So, um, yeah, I guess making, sorry, another ramble, but making the effort.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Doug. Love your rambles. They're awesome. So you are a very funny and engaging host on your own podcast, Japan Rugby Weekly Podcast. Woohoo! Yes. Tell us about your podcast. Yeah. How did this come to be? Why did you decide to do this? And how many um, millions have you made doing this? Yeah. So far,
2: oh, yeah? <laughs> I'm kind of just translating as a hobby now because uh, nah, um, yeah. uh, um, it's uh, it started... I want to say twenty twenty. I think it was because uh, of COVID when everything kind of you know shut down or slowed down. And um, a player who was at Coke, uh, James Marshall. He's doing the What a Dad podcast in New Zealand, but he was at Coca Cola for two seasons, I think. And he was kind of talking to me about how uh, he went back to New Zealand. He um, retired from rugby and you know had all those connections in rugby and wanted to use them to. Um, yeah I just help people understand what rugby players are really like behind um, their press conferences and stuff where people aren't allowed to say what they think or you know they're not allowed to have a personality and all they can say is full credit to the boys and uh, yeah I was talking to him and we were kind of talking about how it's kind of similar in Japan but there's even less I guess representation of rugby in Japan so I originally started with a Japanese podcast um, which after hours of hours of uh, thinking of a cool name, I finally thought of the perfect name, Doug's Rugby Podcast. Um <laughs> and uh I just started by interviewing a few like people at Coca-Cola where I was working. So we had one of the best refs in the country who was working for us. So I'd interview him and in some of the players and um some of the people I met at the Sun Wolves rugby team and all that. So just trying to make people understand what the rugby plays were like outside um of the sport and then a few of the players at Coca-Cola we were again talking and we said why don't we start out one for I guess English listeners because there was no news really coming out of Japan on the league even though there were so many international players and Mm -hmm. the level was just rising rising but I wouldn't say it wasn't uh, because of lack of effort but I guess it was just a lack of know-how from the rugby union of how they can get the stuff out or maybe they were just trying to focus on getting the domestic audience up first um but i just thought there wasn't enough going out to a uh, foreign listeners. so um yeah you should just go around to one of the guys uh flats in um Fukuoka, where we were living and every tuesday we'd just get around a few mics and you know just talk about life and just talk about Sounds um fun. rugby and it was something that we'd normally do in the locker room anyway so we thought might as well just put a mic out and yeah I always joke about you know making millions but it's kind of just something that you know I enjoy talking it's one of the things I you know talked about the favorite parts about being in a rugby team so thought um mm-hmm. if you can bring that kind of flavor uh to the public then you know that'll be great. And and then Coke got disbanded as a rugby team and suddenly I had all the gear and no friends. Um so I came up to Mitsubishi and I thought I actually got a few messages from people overseas who are saying oh they were here for the World Cup and everything and they uh, you know, um enjoyed being able to listen to the rugby news and and those people obviously weren't my mum or my immediate family. So I was like, <laughs> oh I better keep it going. So it's just been, yeah, oh it kinda whenever I can just getting episodes out and uh just trying to share as much so people can understand what's happening over here what it's like and then uh, if we've got time talk about convenience stores and stuff like that and um yeah, yeah and what it's like, like about chicken
0: and stuff yeah yeah the boring.
2: big questions yeah.
0: so, those are also the fun bits right that you yeah we and love and those and those your bits format too. we love those bits and you know the thing that always remains with me is that dunking the biscuits into the cups of tea. And that just, you know, has lasted with me as one of my, uh, you know, one of those banters was really, really fun. And I still think of it and chuckle when I, when I have uh, something like that in front of me, right. With the, the t- cup of tea or coffee and a biscuit. And I'm thinking I'm going to dunk this. I wonder what Doug would think. So you have to uh, go and listen. If you hadn't, haven't heard the Japan rugby weekly mm-hmm a podcast. It's super fun. And I think during the, the season, you know, the Japanese season is when I started to get hooked on your show. Uh and we've been following you also through Rugby World Cup, which has been awesome. Have you got a favorite episode that you've put out so far? Or are they all yeah. pretty much super awesome and you can't say one um, is better than the other?
2: Um yeah. I've got a hundred and four that are tied for first now um I um, <laughs> <you go>. I, <laughs> think, um good
0: answer. I think
2: I think you reminded me about the biscuit, yeah. because it's not something that, you know, we didn't uh, write in our notes. Okay, today we're going to talk about this. It's just, we I think we're having a cup of tea while we're doing it. And just all those kind of little parts where, um, obviously, you've got a few things that we decide that we want to talk about. But um, I don't like telling whoever's on to, you know, where we wait. wait you going off topic I think because yeah. I'm the worst at going off topic so yeah I think those parts that are just genuine and things that we'd normally talk about those uh parts that are great but some highlights in terms of like we at the start we had you know some pretty big um guests on just because of some of the co-hosts that we had on at the time uh we had a guy William Tupo who's at Toyota now who uh played for Japan in that world cup so after the world cup he'd uh get us, um, on the phone with guys like you know Michael Leach and uh James Moore who's another one who uh, was on uh in the Japan team and a lot of English speaking Japan internationals um and just hearing I guess their stories um it's a lot more laid back and a lot more jokes and um those things I think were always fun but yeah I think the just the little parts that we don't plan for are always my favorite bits and mm-hmm. um it's hard because You know, you can't plan for them. So uh sometimes they happen before I push record and then sometimes they happen just after. But um, you know, you you get a few of them, so it's good.
1: So what future dreams do you have for the Japan Rugby Weekly podcast there, Doug?
2: Yeah, I think uh millions. Yeah. Um the millions are obviously a given. It's uh yeah, that's gonna happen, I think, either through that or I don't know, I'll make a Japan Rugby Weekly coin or something um, a currency <laughs> um, but yeah I think uh, I never really started it as something to you know become something where I'm the next Joe Rogan or uh, something that can make it financially like my full-time job or anything Um, because you know I've got a job that I love it's uh, this is something that I guess I do that can help me with my job so it just keeps me on top of following the news following the updates uh which is all stuff that can help with my uh, work but I think the biggest dream for it would just be to keep growing and um getting Japan rugby as much exposure as possible I think because the more Japan rugby's on the map then the more it helps all the companies that are um you know trying to stay afloat basically um in Japan yeah you know, I'm pretty sure none of them or hardly any of them would actually be making money from owning a rugby team so they going more and more professional i think being able to give it that support to um yeah become more sustainable something that would be uh great and if while we're doing it we can just get more people to love japan and to love rugby um and to love the mighty dinosaurs. um would be um yeah that's i guess as big as i'm thinking at the moment but um i know that yeah, the reason why I'm doing it is, is just to help Japan rugby, hopefully in any little way I can. So hopefully, um, that happens.
0: And you know, people are waiting for you too. I think that gives you a bit of a push along as well. You've got the fans who said, you know, keep going. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the ones who you who comment or the ones like us who are super fans, and we just love hearing each each time you come out with one. So do keep going. And uh, we look forward to keeping on promoting you and helping you out as much as we can as well. Any promotions or activities that you're doing at Japan um, Rugby Weekly? Is there anything <laughs> that you want to do to help the listeners maybe come and support you? I see you've got a Japan Rugby Weekly T-shirt on yourself today. So
2: um, Yeah. I, uh, this actually, um, it all started, I think it was last year, on my birthday, my uh, now wife just um, like gave it to me for my birthday. She said oh, I made it for, at this... Um, at this website and i was like oh you know that's cool and then somebody else saw it and said like where can you buy those so i thought oh, might as well make them available um so i think uh it's on the instagram there's like a link but if you want to wear something with the japan rugby weekly logo on it then you can get stuff there i uh, also have um one of the original co-hosts uh, joe kamana who is now at Uh, Santuri Sangoliath is um, still playing rugby but he's got a company that he made called Activate and Recovery Pro. Uh, They sell uh, massage guns and uh, a lot of things that kind of help people who um, need to prepare for training or recover afterwards and um, uh, he always thought that everything was so expensive that new players coming into the um industry they kind of struggled to get those things right and getting those habits early you can definitely prolong your career so he wanted to make it a bit more affordable so he's uh we've kind of sorted out a code i think it's jrw15 and you can get 15 percent off so if you're nice. ever interested in any of those uh massage guns or yeah he's got a lot of stuff there so um yeah Great. i think that's about it i guess um we'll hopefully keep the podcast running for <laughs> yeah um and uh no, I think once we get into season, it gets a little bit uh I guess wobbly in terms of how the uh season schedule works, but i'll uh make sure I keep getting weekly mm. podcasts out so um, ongoing. Yeah. Yeah. goingmbo yeah.
0: wow nice. nice very very good. good. Any last words to wrap up there doug, or any questions for us perhaps mm.
2: um yeah well, I have always uh loved when i uh see the notification that you guys have got a new episode out and um think can't remember where i first saw you guys it might have been on instagram it might have been from something like hbc but um hayden but um yeah i uh love what you guys are doing appreciate uh what you're doing and giving a voice to all the people you know kiwis or sorry jandals uh, who are over here in japan but um <laughs> yeah thanks so much for uh inviting me and um it's always a pleasure to talk to you guys and um no, thanks for I guess, supporting all the people in Japan who are from Aotearoa.
0: Thank you. And I know you say arigatsu at the end Arigats. of your podcast. So arigatsu <laughs> to you and congratulations. You are now a Jandal in Japan, a very successful one. Thanks for telling us your story about your work as a translator and also on this podcast that you are running, Japan Rugby Weekly. Thanks, Doug.
2: Oh, thank you so much. Um, arigatsu. <laughs>
0: Wow, Doug the
1: Translator, what a good sort. I love listening to him talk, even though he always says he's talking too much.
0: Oh, awesome. What a job. I mean, he's just, he brought it today, that's for sure. He did. I need a rugby term for that. But anyway, <laughs> so to good, touch, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I loved your question about what people, where people are suited for translation or not. And, you know, he really went into that quite in depth about shelving your Think knowledge that you know before coming to Japan.
1: Yeah, especially right? if you have rugby knowledge, right? That's not your business. Your business is to say what the coach is saying.
0: Yeah, but, even your strategy is different. Your philosophy is different. Your own ideas are different. Pop them away. You're on the job for the translation. I thought that was magic. Mm, mm. That has lost people their jobs apparently. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, not sort of thinking I know best. I think he meant to say this. Mm. right Mm. yeah i thought that was great and that that sort of tied into the other comment he was making about the way that we do things in new zealand this is a japan team not a new zealand team in japan Mm. japan team in japan and and being really conscious of that word kaisha company that's come up quite a lot right jamie joseph went into it in depth when we talked with him and again doug did today it was just incredible right yeah, yeah it's the sort of things that you wouldn't know how to deal with
1: because you wouldn't deal with these in new zealand but these are a fact of life of working well particularly in any professional team in japan because they're all owned by companies so yeah. company first yeah and how right. that looks and yeah how you have to operate within that structure
0: mm. yeah we hear a lot about culture don't we from a lot of people on the podcast i think everybody mentions culture but, again, I think with Doug, he's got another layer on there with rugby culture as well as knowing about Japan. He's got so many things, I'm sure, spinning around in his head as he's trying to do his efforts for translation. But mm. that was it, wasn't it? Effort. That was one of his big yeah. big takeaways was the making an effort in Japan. Just making an effort. Yeah. Get to know the culture. You don't have to get, do it perfectly, but get out there, make yourself part of it, and exhibit that humility, right, for things that you don't know. I remember coming to Japan thinking, I've done Japanese for two years. I've been a tour guide for so many years. I must know Japanese. Yeah. Ha, you ha. Did. When you <laughs> get here, it's different. <laughs> yeah. It's different. There are so many things you do not know, and just being like putting that aside, that humility has to come into play. Thank you so much, Doug, for bringing that out as well. Mm. Mm. Awesome, awesome episode. Very so, timely with so many players from New Zealand post Rugby yes. World Cup. And Come to, just coming to Japan shortly. So, yeah, follow the Japan Rugby Weekly
1: podcast for all of your updates in English about what's going on. And we look forward to hearing, yeah, how things are going for the Dinobars this season. Go Dinobars!
0: Thank you so much, everyone, for listening today. You'll see you again soon. Bye. listening make sure you check out our guests links in the show notes
1: this podcast is brought to you today by Catherine o'connell law and pod launch with jane if you have a great story you think should be on the show come and find us on linkedin or instagram we'd love to hear from you see you next time